0: Welcome, Hannah. I'm very happy to have you here today for this episode of our podcast. Our topic today is climate change and decarbonization. And Hannah, you are the founder and CEO of Right Based on Science, a Frankfurt-based climate change impact startup. Um, I know that you're driven by the belief that transparency around climate risk is the key for developing appropriate responses to global warming. And with your startup, you have developed a science-based tool, the XDC model, which uh, actually enables this transparency by capturing and easily communicating the impact of organizations on global warming. Um, And obviously, first, you looked at companies and big uh, players. Um, Now you're broadening the focus. Currently, we are also collaborating to make the XTC model applicable for universities. And I'm really happy to have you here in this session today and discuss your work a bit more with you. And maybe to start off, uh, first, you could Please tell us a bit about yourself. So how did your interest in climate change come about? What what, what is your personal background path to begin to work on the topic? And also maybe what does the climate crisis and decarbonization mean to you personally?
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having invited me. It's really a great pleasure to to be here in your podcast, um, especially due to the important role that universities play in this transition. So happy to be here. Yeah about myself so i studied psychology and business um and uh, then came across the so called carbon bubble in my business oriented studies which said that or which is about the fact that 75% of all fossil fuel reserves that are already priced into the market are unburnable in a well below 2 degree world and this is of course um yeah interesting research about a huge financial bubble and I thought back then at university that this is finally a different language in which we speak about climate change and sustainability because it relates so much more about um, the way we do business, the way we take decisions um the way the financial markets work so it appeared to me a huge lever for um climate action, and this is why i Yeah, further researched and studied this carbon bubble until I came to the science-based targets as methodologies for setting climate targets along the lines of climate science. And then with a few um, uh, internships and uh, my first position at an IT company, I understood that I actually want to work my whole day on this carbon bubble concept and how we can leverage it for better decisions. And this is how we found it then, right, based on science, um, to create products that would enhance the transparency on whether a company depends on emissions that shouldn't be there in a well below two degree world, yes or no. Mm -hmm. And maybe with regards to your question to the, to, to the climate crisis, you, so so you were asking, um, what does the term climate crisis mean to me? So I, I want to say I find it really fascinating how we stand there and watch, how we, how we know that we're not on a very good track, um, because the world is about to heat up to around 3.2 degrees and we have so much information about the damages and the lower quality of life and the difficulties that come with it. Um, And it gets so obvious how trapped we are in our short-term thinking and how our own nature is actually our major barrier in taking action. So I think the way we react to this crisis tells us so much more about what we should do and what we should tackle um, than speaking about technologies and business models. I think really the, the human being and the way we process information and how we perceive this should um, further be in uh, at the center of, of, of the of, of, of the debate, so that we can eventually decarbonize.
0: Yes, very, very true. And I mean, especially given, you know, all the extreme weather um, happenings around the world right now, it's it's so visible, right? And uh, yeah, I totally, I fully agree with you there. Um, nevertheless, we also need the technologies and the models to measure it, right? And to capture it and to understand it. Um, and maybe we can talk a bit about, right, based on science and your approach. So... How do you, with your business model, actually contribute to decarbonization and how do you help organizations to understand their impacts?
1: Yeah, so our business model mainly depends on increasing transparency through software products. Uh, And we want to design those software products um, that we can also relate to the way that people take decisions and that people have a sense of urgency with regards to to this topic. So. The value that we create is to tell a company, for example, with your current climate goal, you're not four degrees compatible anymore, you're three degrees. Um, But your climate goal is not enough in order to claim that you are on the solution side, that you're actually contributing to solving the problem. Um, So through this transparency that we provide with our software for both corporates, but also for um actors in the financial markets we allow those actors to create robust targets that are really Paris aligned that really allow the company to contribute to the 1.5 degree goal um, from those robust targets the next step is then designing robust strategies so a strategy that brings me from four degrees to three degrees is not a good strategy we need a strategy that brings me from for example, four degree to 1.5 degree. Um, and by giving those, tra- by giving those opportunities, we create alternatives for the financial world to invest in the 1.5 degree um, transition. So if we provide this transparency, what company is in line with what temperature outcome? Um, we also provide added value to the financial markets because they can see and they can decide where they want to put their money to. Um, And um, currently I think the most important use case for our clients is really to put their climate goals under scrutiny. Is it really enough to be Paris aligned, yes or no? We hear a lot about climate neutrality, about net zero targets, about really intransparent ambitions to reduce um, a company's uh, emissions. But is it really contributing to the Paris Climate Agreement? Um, That is uh, one of the major questions that we currently tackle with our software.
0: Yeah, so I think it's it's really appealing because you have this degree value, right, which is easily graspable. And um, still, there is this very complex model in the background, right? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, the nitty gritty details of the model. So I know you account for GVA, for example, uh, you also account for industry differences. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, you're right. Our so-called X degree compatibility model um, uh, calculates the degree Celsius of a company. So it's an economic climate impact model that determines the climate impact of an economic entity that can be a company or a financial portfolio to climate change under various scenarios and the output is a tangible degree Celsius figure. So everybody can immediately understand if that company is Paris-aligned, yes or no. The special thing about this model, which is why it's also so complicated in the back end, is that it is a forward-looking tool. So we go into the future. Um, We determine what if you develop along a business-as-usual scenario, what would be then your climate impact? But what if you reach your climate target? What if you expand to other markets? What if you change your um, your, your your product portfolio? What would be the corresponding temperature of your company? And this forward-looking uh, aspect is is of course something that makes the model complicated, but it's also something that gives the companies room to acknowledge that currently they are not Paris-aligned but with a different strategy for the future, they would be Paris-aligned. So I think that provides um, opportunities for companies really to react in an authentic way to to this crisis. The way it works um, is four different steps. So at the beginning of the process, we determine the so-called economic emission intensity. So that's where the gross value added, the GVA, comes in. So we look at how many emissions does a company – each year until 2050 to create value. Um, So to create gross value added, which is the sum of EBDA and personal costs. So what emissions do I need to drive my business model until 2050? And then we're scaling this economic emission intensity up um, uh, with the global gross value added, answering the question okay what if every company needed as many emissions in order to create value as I do under the scenario that I chose between a base year and 2050. And then we receive an absolute amount of emissions um, that would be created if everybody acted like the company under consideration. And that amount of emissions we then enter into a climate model, which is also used by the IPCC, um, which is available as an open source tool, And that climate model then tells us the corresponding temperature increase. So what we calculate is a real temperature. It's not a score, it's not some kind of abstract figure. It's a real temperature that corresponds to the level of global warming that we would need to expect if everybody behaved as the company under consideration. And um, we work with this economic emission intensity. So we not only look at the emissions, we also look at uh, the value a company creates
0: and um, the
1: actual business model of of a company.
0: Yeah, so um, I think this is really impressive. And I know that um, a couple of years ago, you've conducted this study in which you applied the XTC model to, I think it was the Duck study companies, right? Maybe you can tell us a bit more about those results and maybe if possible, also what happened since then?
1: Yes, uh, it was a very exciting study and I think we were not really aware of how much awareness we would create with this study. So the way that the media responded to this study and the way they picked it up was an incredible signal for us, okay, we're we're moving on the right pathway here. So what we did is that we were using this forward looking XDC model to calculate the climate impact of the ducks 30 companies under two scenarios. So since it is forward looking, we can apply different scenarios. The first scenario was a so called baseline scenario where we said what if the company just develops along the lines of economic uh, of, of historic trends. So no climate strategy is is uh, is reached, nothing changes significantly. So we received the climate impact, the temperature of each of those companies under this business as usual strategy, you could call it. And then we compared this to a sector-specific target temperature for each of the Dax 30 company. Of course, you can, or of course, you need to consider that an IT company, for example, has a different starting point when it comes to economic emission intensities than a utility company, and that different sectors can decarbonize uh, in, a, in a different way and with different costs. Um, So also that needs to be considered when you assess the Paris alignment of a company. And we do this through sector-specific target XDCs. So we compared the climate impact of each company under a business-as-usual scenario to the target XDC, and then we ran another scenario, and we were asking what if each company reaches its communicated climate goal. And we were working with um, 16 of the DAX30 companies um, to verify our quantifications. We invited all of them to work with us and verify our quantifications. 16 of them accepted this. Um, and then we had this comparison between the climate impact under the assumption that they reached their climate target um, to the business as usual climate impact and to the target XTC. And what we saw is that most of the targets were not sufficient to reach the target XDC, so that we still had a big gap between where companies would be if they reached their goal and where they would need to be in order to contribute to the Paris Climate Agreement. And uh, until today, we heard that uh, this report and our analysis sensitized uh, the DAX30 yeah, in a very meaningful way. So there were, yeah, a lot of discussions uh, in those um, corporations and uh, the board members were involved, the decision makers were involved. So I think we did a great job in sensitizing that this is now a topic and that we will have transparency about how effective climate targets are and that you can no longer bullshit people with um, like blown up uh, climate goals that are not 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 meaningful in the end and we also won a few new clients amongst the duck thirty companies <laughs> as for example bonovia um or also aeon who is uh, in our stakeholder council for the real estate project that we currently have yeah so a lot happened um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and and
0: this directly brings me actually to my next question, um, which is actually about this, you know, wiggle room or new play field also for greenwashing that companies have uh, around climate goals, right? At the moment, we see that all kinds of organizations are communicating some climate goal, um, or even multiple goals. And it feels a bit like a race to zero, in which everyone aims to make a unique contribution, differentiate from the others. And in general, my personal feeling would be that if we have competition, that's maybe also a good thing because, you know, it makes us faster. And as you mentioned earlier already, we don't have time, right? Um, at the same time, I see that there is this variety of climate goals, which is very confusing. Uh, and for people who don't have a deep knowledge of the topic, um, there is also, you know, room to, to actually, you know, manipulate and for companies to greenwash. So how would you co- comment on this topic?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. So competition is necessary to, to initiate this race to the bottom. So who is better? Who has the lower climate impact? But without making climate goals comparable, you don't reach that competition. Um, and you don't, you don't bring up the pressure that is now necessary. So I think making climate goals comparable and disclosing information about climate goals that are enabling the stakeholders of a company to understand a climate goal in in the light of the Paris climate agreement is essential to to use the time that we still have left for really rethinking business model models and and manage the transition and i'm not sure in how far the sole focus on climate neutrality is is supporting us in this because in my opinion this is more of a way to, uh, yeah, to, to, to actually stall progress, um, because it's just, um, it, it's very vague, um, you cannot quantify it, um, you don't involve people, um, you don't um, make them participate in this in this transition, it seems so easy to say, we will then be climate neutral in 2030, 20, 20, 2040, um, and all of this is not a very authentic picture of the transition that is in front of us that needs everyone to be involved, that needs comparability, that needs um, uh, transparency about the emissions that are created each year. Um, And this is why only the concept of climate neutrality does not support us in advancing this competition and making sure that we're using the time that we have. Um, It's it's the contrary, in my opinion. I think uh, this debate on climate neutrality and focusing on it actually slows us down, um, whereby actually we have so many good resources about what is an effective climate goal, how do you design it, um, how do you communicate it. And the most important of those effective and authentic climate goals is the principle that you need to be able to claim, if everyone behaved like me, we could make it. And um, saying that if everybody would be climate neutral in 2040, um, uh, this does not bring us further in understanding whether we would reach the Paris Climate Agreement because the absolute emissions until climate neutrality count for the Paris Climate Agreement and for global warming. And if everybody, for example, increased emissions until five years before climate neutrality and then dropped through compensation, we would certainly not reach the Paris Climate Agreement.
0: Yeah, maybe directly related to that, mentioning the compensation aspect. So, what is your take on the mitigation versus offsetting part of the net zero race?
1: Um, So, I think we're currently focusing too quickly on this offsetting uh, activity. And I even see, um, um, I even see. Websites where offsetting is made so easy and just 5 euros per tonne and then that's it and you can, you can forget about it and just continue with business as usual. And I think this is extremely dangerous because it doesn't take into consideration all the costs that will come um, with a business as usual economic model. Um, and also with regards to the costs that companies will face if they make themselves depending on yearly offsettings, the price will rise and there will soon be a break even where the money that was spent for offsetting should have better spent for mitigation scenarios. So the way offsetting and mitigation um, activities are currently compared is in my opinion not a very professional way and not a very uh, quantitative way. And um offsetting, in my very personal opinion, I've never read about this, um, but my very personal opinion is that offsetting should rather be done for um, cancelling out the debt that we have with nature, so offsetting should be used for uh for getting nature back to where we started um, and not for doing something good for the future it's It's about. Paying off debt and not avoiding additional debt, um, and this is why I find it so dangerous and so um, unprofessional um, how offsetting is currently um, treated and and seen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think these are great points, and also what you mentioned earlier about like this um, very narrow focus on on um, like uh, reducing emissions and and getting to zero um we know that sustainability is a lot more multidimensional and that we also need systems change right and not only change uh, on one specific dimension right so i think you you mentioned a lot of really really interesting aspects maybe one more thing that i was thinking about is that we have this like multitude of different players at the moment right we have um cdp we have sbti we have the greenhouse gas protocol and i understand that you see your own solution uh really more um as um a complement to their approaches and not as a substitute right um maybe you can elaborate a bit more for us on how you think that right based on science ties in with these other organizations
1: yeah absolutely um yeah, thanks for asking that question because this misunderstanding that we are in competition with those organizations is, is very tiring. Um, because as you said, it is complementary. So, for example, the CDP, um, which is, um, which is, um, collecting data about the carbon footprint of a company, for example, and also about the climate strategies. That is the data that we're using to determine the economic emission intensity that is then further processed to a degree Celsius. So the CDP is a very important data source for us. Um, and for example, here it would be great to talk to the CDP about what is the quality of data that we need, what is what is additional information that we can turn this data into um, into uh, yeah, decision useful information. Um, the same is true for the greenhouse gas protocol, for example. So this is a guidance for how do you account emission data. Uh, a first attempt to give uh, yeah emission data a certain quality stamp, um, which is improving the output of our model. So if we know that the emission data which goes into our model has been accounted along the lines of the greenhouse gas protocol standard, this is a great quality criteria. And the science-based targets, for example, that support companies in setting um, an emission reduction goal that is in line with the climate science is something that we can use as input for a scenario-based XTC. So what we did with the dux 30, what if the company reaches its climate goal? And that could be a science-based target. So we could just use it as an assumption for the development of the company until 2050, and then check in how far um, this would be Paris-aligned, yes or no. Sometimes science-based targets refer only to a time horizon until 2040. So what would be necessary to then close the gap to, to 2050? And um, those, those targets, they are the precondition for further steps, as, for example, assessing investment options um, for a company internally whether they support the company in uh, in in developing along the lines of the 1.5 degree scenario, it all sounds so easy, um, but it isn't. And a good climate target that can be created with the science-based target methodology is a very good foundation for this next operational step for a company. And this is how everything ties in um, and can work together in order to give a, a steering framework for the companies, which is. Necessary to get rid of this greenwashing and, and get serious about about the climate crisis and the transition.
0: Yeah, and I mean, be, besides these players that we have at the moment, there is also a great momentum uh, with regard to sustainability regulation. Right? We have the EU taxonomy, we have sustainable finance activities and initiatives, we have um, new um, new guidelines for reporting coming up, um, and I think it's interesting to to look at like how do you play into all of these developments and what is your plan ahead right so how do you uh, where do you see right based on science in a couple of years can you maybe give us a sneak preview of what your plans are
1: yeah of course <laughs> um so what 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 we feel and what we see is that everything evolves in a very dynamic way So for us as a small company, it is, of course, a huge challenge to react to to this evolving market. On the other hand, small companies are very agile. Um, They can react very fastly and quickly. Um, So we, for example, appreciate that the EU taxonomy improves data quality and data accessibility. Of course, there are also... Um, things happening that we don't find so good. Um, For example, this this pure focus on climate neutrality. We think this is rather a roadblocker instead of uh, something that paves the way. So sometimes we really appreciate what's going on and sometimes we think, hey, why didn't you do your homework better? (laughs) To understand that this is actually halting companies from taking additional action. Um, so this is very exciting to be inside of this dynamics and to step by step also have a voice and being asked um, about our opinion. And um, that is, of course, a great success for us that we are being approached and being asked about those dynamics. Um, I think for us, it's all about creating one language in which those different stakeholders can collaborate on the transition. Uh, climate used to be a topic for the sustainability department of a company. But now things get more complex. More and more stakeholders are demanding action from companies and the role of companies in this transition is changing and evolving. And um, And this is why it's now so important that those different stakeholders can speak one language in order to be efficient and in order to avoid misunderstandings. The closer you come to actual management and action and steering, the more evident it is how much one language um, amongst those different stakeholders helps to focus on what can be achieved together instead of always blaming the other party. So this one language is really something that we want to establish. And we think that the language of the Paris Climate Agreement should be used, which is degrees Celsius. And um, in order to provide this one language, we have to apply the XDC model to other stakeholders and entities, as for example universities. So this is why we're so excited about developing this uh, this this module of the XDC model, so that also universities can um, can tie in. Other topics for us are um, biodiversity. Um, so we more and more understand the link between climate change and biodiversity and what um, how this could be integrated into our XDC model and also visualization and communication um, plays a huge role for us. This is what we spoke about at the beginning of this podcast it's the way people perceive and process information it's also about technologies and, and all the measures but that's easy compared to Providing information in a way that people really feel the need to act and that they really act on it. And that is a matter of uh, information design, visualization, um, communication design. It's on the technical side a matter of uncertainty quantification and visualizing uncertainties. And that is also a huge topic for us to support our clients and our stakeholders to make sense of our calculations and to to get excited about it so that there is really pressure to act. Um, These are the topics that are in the pipeline for us in the short term.
0: Very exciting, and you mentioned a couple of points already that I wanted to ask in my uh, second last question. so um, maybe coming back to what we started off with right this whole transition towards a decarbonized and more sustainable economy uh, it's you know a huge challenge for us all, and uh, as you said, um, we are kind of the bystanders at the moment, right We are watching and, and there is not enough action so what do you think what do you think are these big hurdles that we have to overcome. Um, what role do you see for partnerships? And maybe in summary, uh, what would you say? What do we really need now on the path to a decarbonized and more sustainable economy?
1: Yeah, so I would really stick with this one language um, which undermines, or um, sorry, which underlines <laughs> uh, the role of partnerships. It, it's, it's an all-hands-on-deck situation. Um, everybody needs to participate in this activity. And I think the fact that we currently don't have one language leads to the situation that people blame others and that people point to others. And um, if if people understand the role of collaboration, Once we have this one language, um, I think things will get much, much easier and collaboration and partnerships will be a very attractive alternative to blaming others and pointing pointing to others. Um, Also, I think we need, yeah, from my perspective as an entrepreneur leading a young company here in Germany, um, I also think we need better ways to integrate New ways of doing business into existing into into existing business models, especially in Germany, companies are very hesitant to try out new things because they are scared of very different things. And a better a better um, uh, collaboration again about partnerships between yeah between new business models and new ways of Doing business with traditional and existing ways of doing business would be essential um, to to manage this transition in in time. So that's what I experience a lot, that established companies have a hard time changing and using what entrepreneurs are developing to support the whole economy.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's just maybe um, wrap up here. Um, I could talk to you for hours about this topic, but uh, we're coming towards the end of our session today. And we always have one last question that we like to ask uh, the guests. And this is, if you could actually post one sentence on social media right now, which the whole world would read, what would it be?
1: <laughs> so for me, it would be, don't let them make you, but make yourself.
0: <laughs> That's a nice one. Thank you so much. So, um Really, really, this has been a very insightful session. Hannah, I really thank you so much for taking the time. I know how busy you are. Um, Thank you also for the audience, uh, for listening in today and have a great rest of the day. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Mm Bye-bye.